finally got the love candle lit this week, didn't we? Hey, we did it. Um, so I want to thank the Alston family for helping us out with that. Uh, John, Christine, and Riley for your reading. Um, and uh, those candles we're going to light every week. Uh, you know, I asked this last week, but how many of you have that tradition that you've grown up with lighting candles around the table or uh, hope, joy, love, peace? How, how, many, how many have done that? Okay, well, I hope this year is the year that you would start that tradition. We encouraged you last week to begin that process. You have some materials online that you can download. Read those with your family either every Sunday or um, every day throughout the month of December of those four Sundays leading up till Christmas. Because then on Christmas Eve, we light the center candle, which is the Christ candle. And as Nikki said, I do hope that you will plan on coming and being a part of that awesome, awesome service. The word Advent means... uh, a, a, a waiting or an arrival of an important person, this, this sense of waiting in anticipation. And so even as the Old Testament um, uh, people lived and anticipated a Messiah to come for the first time, we remember that, the first arrival of Jesus some 2,000 years ago, but then remember or think about, anticipate the arrival of his second coming as well. So really the advent for us is on both sides of that, remembering back to the first arrival and the coming of a second. Well, Riley read a wonderful passage of scripture. If you have your Bible, you can open them up to Matthew chapter 1, which she read. And in that passage, we see that Mary receives a great surprise and what we would maybe classify as a major change of plans for her schedule, for her life in reality. Um, And let me just do a poll question if I could. Um, You know, on this continuum, there are people who are spontaneous and there are people who are planners. How many of you would say, I am definitely a planner um, uh, compared on those two continuums? Okay, planners, all right, all right. How many of you would say then uh, you are spontaneous Okay, actually you guys say that you're, you know, spontaneous and adventurous. No, you're just annoying is what you are um, when you do that. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, but, But you can be because truly, truly spontaneous people are not here yet. They come a little later. Um, to the service because they didn't plan to get here on time, right? Right? But, but, but on the other side, the planners, and I am more of a planner, we, we can kind of suck the life out of, uh, uh, of the party because it's not going according to plans when those kind of plans change. In fact, we hate hearing those words, uh, change of plans. And I know that happens a lot at this time of year. Um, where maybe we have an idea of how things should be going, and then they get shifted or they get changed. I was looking up some quotes this past week on uh, change of plans and how plans never come about how we expect them to. There's one by Patrick Lencioni that says this. He writes, trying to design the perfect plan is the perfect recipe for what? Disappointment. And that is so true. When we think we have it all laid out and planned out, and it just doesn't come about. Or there's this quote that says, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. That is by the great theologian Mike Tyson, uh, who said that one. Um, Or the stop by Rick Warren that says, so much serenity would come from understanding this one truth. Nothing ever goes exactly the way you plan. So true. Scripture identifies that when it says out of Proverbs 16, 9. It says, we should make plans counting on God 
to direct them. I, I actually read that scripture at the end of our business meeting that we had this last Wednesday night. Yes, let's make the plans. Let's put them into place. Let's figure out the budget. Let's put it all out there. But counting on God to be the one who's going to direct us and take us there. Show of hands. How many of you have ever had your plans changed by God? Yeah, all of us, right? Sure, sometimes in major, major ways. You know, the entire Christmas story, as I was reading it this past week, and you can read it out of Matthew and Luke, um, main passages come from there. Really, the entire Christmas story is a change of plans, a change of, uh, of, of what people thought they were going to do, and God had other plans. You look at Mary, and we're going to talk about her today, from her not expecting uh, to have a child out of wedlock to Joseph, who didn't think that it was his child, was going to divorce her. That was his plans to make that happen. You think of the wise men, how they were redirected. You think of the shepherds, how they were out on a calm night, wintry night perhaps, and they were redirected to go see this little baby who was born the God of this world. And so we see the angel who delivers that change of plans to Mary that the Alston family read, Riley read so well. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, let me pick up the story right there, where again it says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. You see that, that, that little phrase right there, uh, his mother Mary was pledged to be married. Those were her plans that she had in place. Those were the things that she wanted to have come about that her ideas were thinking that they were going to do. In fact, you know, some of us have had major change of plans in our lives, not only in 2018, but maybe in weeks before that, maybe in years before that. Um, I, had, I had it all planned out that 2018 would be the year that the Dodgers celebrate a World Series championship. That will simply have to happen in 2019. That's okay. Change of plans, right? Change of plans. Change of plans. In, in, in 2016, um, I, I had a major change of plan happen in my life. My back went out when I was helping move someone here at the church. First time something like that had happened. If you were here back at that time, you know I couldn't even preach the next day. I went home walking like an old man. I, I'd be carried into the office to be worked on. Um, in fact, when I got home, I had a little walker like this, and I would be walking like, you know, Tim Conway and the Carol Burnett Show, that type of thing like this. My kids started laughing at me because they thought I was joking. I was not joking. Every day I have to wake up. Every day I have to wake up, stretch out my back for about five, ten minutes just to get things going so that does not happen again. Major change of plans. Not fun. Uh, for my own life, honestly, I would not be up here on Sunday mornings. I never planned to be a senior pastor here at First Baptist Church or ever. In fact, I told God when I went into ministry, which, by the way, you have to watch out what you tell God, right? I told him I never wanted to be a senior pastor. I never wanted to preach every week. And I never wanted to ask people for money. Now, I do all those types of things. Yeah. 
you know, speaking of money, though, let me just say this. Uh, thank you so much for so many of you turning in these commitment cards, these 2020 cards, um, uh, just ensuring that we're able to continue to pay off that debt and that mortgage. So, so appreciate that. If you had not gotten that in um, or if you do not have one of these, we'd love for you to pray about that. That's the over and above gifts that so many of you bring to ensure that we're able to pay this building off as well as the property across the street with the children's building. Let me also say and encourage you, please don't um, stop giving to the general fund because uh, we want to see that continue to go as we do ministry around here. Uh, over $2 million brought in by all of you into that general fund. And then on top of that, another $500,000 or so to pay off the mortgages. And so thank you so much for your giving. I know many of you even give over and above at the Christmas season or an end-of-year gift. We'd encourage you to do that before December 31st. In fact, I shared this with our 8 o'clock service, and a gentleman came up right after the service and handed me a $10,000 check. Now, I do not have that on me, so you don't have to jump me, okay? I put that in a safe place. But I think about when God's people hear, when they hear that, yes, there are needs, or when they hear, now, just because he gave doesn't mean you don't have to give. In fact, he's giving to challenge others to give. A couple years ago, we actually had someone step forth and had a $24,000 gift at the end of the year, and they said, I want to challenge everybody to give in this type of a way, and we were able to double that at the end of the year. I want to encourage you, if you would consider that, to, to do that and to have that kind of generosity in your lives. But change of plans. Many of us did not know we would be here worshiping in this building a year and a half ago. We had no clue. Even a year ago, we had no clue that we were going to be in this place. Some of you are here today, and uh, you didn't think you'd be a single parent. The change of plans. Some of you didn't think you'd be raising your grandchildren. Change of plans. Maybe some of you who are a little younger, you thought that you'd be married by now at this age. Or maybe you thought you'd have a different career. Or if you're older, maybe this is the year that for the first time you're not getting to celebrate with mom or dad or a spouse because they've passed on. And those are kind of heavy upon you right now. A, a, a change of plans. In fact, we have some victims who are even here today uh, from the Paradise Fires, um, who still have not been able to see the property that they were part of, which, by the way, let me say thank you again, First Baptist, for being so generous and giving thousands and thousands of dollars where we could bless the people of Paradise as well, working with them. But there was a gal who was here last week, was talking with me about her children and her grandchildren were having to stay in a trailer. They had no idea that's where they would be at this Christmas season. And yet as we were talking about that, we both kind of had a look on our face because we said, I bet you this is the Christmas they will remember. Because she said, yeah, I think my family's even closer than they've been before because well, certainly living in those close quarters, but you, you have to do things differently and maybe you don't take each other for granted. And that Paradise Fire is so close to us here in Stockton. Stockton, I hope we never take for granted what we have when you get to go home and celebrate um, around a dinner table or in a home where you get to sleep and be comfortable at night. We should never take that for granted. We never know what's going to take place. We never know what plans are going to change. And some of you have major plans that were changed in 2000. 2018, or maybe you will have them upcoming here in the upcoming year. And so the question really is this. The question isn't, will I have to deal with changing plans, but it's how will I deal with the changing plans? Because let me remind you what God is doing. 
And don't let your plans make you miss God's purpose. God, in the midst of this, can be doing something. And don't let it be your plans. Your plans, not God's plans. Don't let it be your plans that let you miss or make you miss God's purpose of what he is doing. And that same thing was true of Mary. 2,000 years ago, and it's a great lesson for us. So let's kind of follow her story. If you have your outline, you can pull that out. And let's look at handling life's surprises, uh, be that Christmas time, be that throughout the year. Here's the first thing I want to encourage you to remember. Plan for plans to change. Plan for your plans to change. If you've ever been on one of our mission trips or projects around here, oftentimes we will say as leaders, expect the unexpected. You never know what's going to come up. Expect the unexpected. Remember, remember what Mary's plan was in verse 18. It says his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. That was her plan. But God's plan included a baby, and in fact, a baby out of wedlock. But now watch this because this is an interesting part of the story. Mary accepted those plans a little differently than did Elizabeth and Zechariah. Well, watch how this works. In verse 34 of Luke chapter 1, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 34. In fact, if you want to jump all the way over to Luke, we're going to finish the story up in Luke today. Luke chapter 1, verse 34 says this. When she is told, when Mary is told that she is going to have a baby, she says, how is this going to be because I am a virgin? I mean, that is a major, major change of plan. I'm not so sure that this should be coming about. But there was something about what she said that was different than what Zechariah and Elizabeth said. Remember their story? Luke chapter 1, where you back it up into verse 5. Luke 1 verse 5 says, In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. As the story goes, the angel approached them and said, Elizabeth, you are going to have a child, but look what he says in verse 18. It says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. First of all, kudos to Zechariah for saying that well, right? I mean, because it's like, I'm an old man. Instead of calling her an old woman, you never want to go down that road. She kind of says, and my wife, well along in years, Right? You know, I'm an old man, but she is rich in years, okay? Men, take note on that one, all right? And you'll recall his response brought about the fact that he would not speak until the baby was born, until John the Baptist was born. And because in verse 20, it says, because you did not believe my words. The angel said, Zechariah, because you did not believe. You did not think that the plans could be changed, you, you, you thought, okay, it's done and done. We are old people. We'll never have a child. His response was much different than what Mary's was. Why? Because we see Mary and Zechariah asking the same type of question. But watch what else happens here. 
In verse 34, she breaks out, uh, or, or she, she, she questions this response, yes, but then she breaks out into this great affirmation in verses 46 through 55 that's called Mary's song. It's called the Magnificat, where Mary begins to quote scripture upon scripture upon scripture upon scripture of God's faithfulness. And she knew the promises that God had given to her generations past, her ancestors before and before and before and before generation, before generation, before generation, before generation, and his faithfulness, and she just, she just rolled with it because she had seen it happen so many times before. Where does that come from? It comes from knowing Scripture. It comes from saying, wow, I've heard and knew what Moses went through. Wow, I heard and knew what David went through. Wow, I heard and knew what Solomon and the minor prophets went through. She knew all that. She had seen God's faithfulness all the way through. That's why she responded differently. It's one of the reasons that we here as a church want to have children memorizing Bible scriptures. Bible verses. In fact, right now, there are kids who are learning Bible lessons and memorizing Bible verses. We have a great Awana program that meets on Wednesday nights. And one of our goals was to have, by 2020, so in three years, we had a three-year plan, that we would have kids memorizing scriptures that would total over 100,000 verses planted in their hearts. Think about that, folks. Kids running around with those verses cumulatively put together over 100,000 verses memorized by all those kids together so that when hard times come, when difficult things come their way, when plans maybe are unplanned to be changed, what do they do? They rely upon Scripture. They go back and say, God, I've seen this happen before. I've seen this in history. I know that your love for me will never, ever change. And you know, that's not just for the kids. It's one of the reasons why this upcoming year, I'm going to take a group of you through it. You might not even know you're going to go through it yet, but if you pray about it, I want you to listen to God saying, yes, am I going to go through this or not? A group of you going through the entire Bible in about 90 days, from about mid-January up until Easter time. I want to take you cover to cover through God's Word. Is it a commitment? Absolutely it's a commitment. But good things come to those who are willing to work at them, willing to say, okay, God, I'm putting myself in a place where you can speak to me. I pray you will make 2019 a, a, a year that you say, let's start this thing off right. Let's get God's Word inside of me. Maybe you've even been a Christian for years and years and years and years and years. Maybe you even feel like you've read through the entire Bible, but you've never done it cover to cover. I want to challenge you to do that. In fact, one gal who did that, she said, I never saw how it all fit together like I did in that period of time where I read it cover to cover. And you don't only have to read it. You could also listen to it, driving to work, coming home, doing housework, doing yard work, whatever it may be. You can listen to it as well. But to think about cover to cover, to hear God's word, how it all fits together. In fact, she said, man, if you're going through that Old Testament and you come to those minor prophets, you are just waiting. You're like screaming, Jesus, come, please, come. And the Old Testament time. Get into the New Testament. That's all a plan where there was even five or 300, 400 years of silence before Jesus then comes in the book of Matthew. We see that. That's what we read about today. That's how God's plan comes together. And I want to challenge you. Wednesday night in January, you'll hear more about this. Because, folks, the only way we're going to have life change here in Stockton, the only way we're going to see revival is to have God's word deep inside of us. That when you get pressed, as Mary does right here, when you get challenged, you rely upon God's word and you say, 
God, you did this for everybody else. In fact, as you read through the Old Testament, you will see spiritual giant after spiritual giant after spiritual giant who had nothing but their plans in life changed. Life changed plans, life changed plans, life changed plans. Plans are changed, plans are changed, plans are changed. Why? Because God is the God of the impossible. God is the God who wants to do so much more in you than you have even thought about this upcoming year. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing when plans get changed. In fact, if God's in the midst of it, it's never a bad thing. I mean, Mary, was she scared at the beginning? Absolutely. She was freaked out. Why wouldn't she be? But she just said, Lord, I'm your servant. Do with me as you wish. And so parents, I hope, grandparents, I hope you are bringing your kids to be a part of that Awana program. I pray that you are bringing them to Sunday school classes on Sunday mornings. I pray that we all are in here learning, growing. In fact, let me share with you a a study that was done not long ago by Harvard. Harvard uh, School University, um, this was published in Forbes magazine. Here's what the study said. It said a new Harvard study investigated the health and mental health of children and teenagers who were raised with religious or spiritual practices. And what they found in the study was fascinating. Here's what they found. They said those who attended religious services at least once a week as children or teens were about 18% more likely to report being happier in their 20s than those who never attended services. So about 20% happier in their 20s because of what they learned in just those times in religious experiences. They were almost 30% more likely to do volunteer work and serve, and 33% less likely to use drugs in their 20s. I'll take those odds. A whole nother third percent chance, 33% chance of my kids not being on drugs, my grandkids not being on drugs, just from bringing them around and knowing that there's a bigger picture than just them going through life. This is a sense of hope that we give to kids, the hope in God that there's something more. It says, in addition, people who prayed and meditated individually on a daily basis had more life satisfaction, were better able to process emotions, and were more forgiving. They were less likely to have sex at an earlier age and to have sexually transmitted disease. They had a better sex life as well when that time comes. I'm up for that. That's good with me as well. We'll do that. The Forbes article reporting concludes the study with this. It said some of the fundamental habits that humans have been doing for eons, praying, meditating, knowing there's a God who you can talk with, might actually have a lot more value than we tend to think. Said by God's design, a divine and human partnership is essential to human flourishing. That God is in our midst. God is here. God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. God in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And when plans need to be changed, okay, we walk with them. We get it. We say, okay, God, you're in charge. We'll walk according to your ways. First thing, plan for those plans to be changed. Second on your outline is this. Cherish the blessings in the unexpected. Cherish the blessings in the unexpected. 
skip ahead a little bit in the story. As you look to Luke chapter 2, 19, where Mary has already had the angel visit. She's already had the ridicule of the unplanned pregnancy in her town and village. She's already traveled to Bethlehem after being nine months pregnant, needing to give birth. There's no place to do it. She gives birth in a stable, a dirty stall. Um, then having the shepherds come in, kind of invading her makeshift uh, birthing room. And in verse 19, Luke writes, because he spoke with Mary, that Luke writes about Mary in the midst of all this. Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her what? In her heart. She treasured these things. She pondered these things. Can I just say... If that were me, I would not be pondering and treasuring. I would be cursing, I am sure. If any of you men were nine-month pregnant and had to ride on a donkey, you would be cursing, okay? Women, you're tougher than us in those ways. And here's Mary who's gone through it all. We don't know if she actually rode on a donkey. I hope she did because otherwise she's walking at nine months pregnancy. But she's in the midst of all this. And Luke says she's treasuring this. She's pondering these things up in her heart. Why? Because she's already come to the place of saying, God, I'm your servant, and servants do what masters tell them to do. And so I'm going to plan for unplanned things to come about. And when they do, I can choose what kind of an attitude I need to have, and I'm going to have a good attitude. I'm going to put pondering. I'm going to be treasuring, God, as you want me this. And, and, and here's what Mary understood. You can write this down. It's not in your notes, but you can write it down if you like. She understood that some of life's interruptions can be life's greatest opportunities. Let me say that again. Some of life's greatest interruptions can be life's greatest opportunities. You never know what God wants to do. And please, during this holiday season, don't miss the little things. There might be something little that a kid or a child or your grandchild will tell you or someone else. Don't miss the little things that God wants you to see. A number of years ago, I received a Christmas card from someone here in the congregation. And I didn't know who it was from. And at the bottom of it, it just said, in love, Christ. I thought, that's kind of interesting. I just got a Christmas card from Christ. There, there it is. Look at that. The name is right there. I thought, I don't know anybody by the name of Christ except God. So I, I, I knew a few Jesuses, but I, I did not know a Christ. So I'm like, what, this is kind of unique to me. Christ, in love Christ. It's a Christmas card and a sign, in love Christ. Until I realized that it was a gal by the name of Krista uh, who just forgot to put the A on the end. And so it was C-H-R-I-S-T and not with the A, Krista. And I thought, oh, okay. I liked it better the old way, Christ. Just leave it right there, right? And so I used that throughout the year. I mean, someone would walk into my office after Christmas time. They're like, hey, guess what I got for Christmas? I don't care what you got for Christmas. Look what I got for Christmas. A card from Christ. Bet you you didn't get a card from Christ. I got a card from Christ. Little things like that. They, they, they can cause you to see things differently. They can cause you, and I would hope if you got a little something like that even, take it and, and see it as an unexpected from God. 
In fact, the worst thing we can do at this time and at this year is to idolize perfection. Is to idolize thinking it's all going to fit together just as I planned. We end up idolizing our plans and saying, instead of saying, God, what are you wanting to do at this Christmas time? What are you wanting to do in this brand new year, 2019, that's coming up? Don't miss the treasured moments because you were paying attention to your plans. Life's interruptions can be great opportunities to see God in the midst. Last point. I know time's getting away from us, so let me give you this last point. On handling life's surprises, prepare for God to do the impossible. Now, I know that's a big chunk to bite off, but might as well prepare it. Plan for it. Say, God, okay, whatever you want to do in our midst, you got it. You can do it. Prepare for God to do the things that will blow your mind. Look at verse 35 of Luke chapter 1. It says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Your, uh, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was uh, said to be a, uh, unable to conceive, she was barren, now has a six-month baby bump. There it is. She's in her sixth month pregnant. For nothing is impossible with God. Would you read that verse with me? Read it with me. For nothing is impossible with God. Say it one more time. For nothing is impossible. Where do you need to hear that this year? Maybe it was something you experienced in this last year. Maybe this last month. Maybe this last week. Where do you need that hope? Where do you need that truth that nothing is impossible with God? Some of you may be sitting here just anticipating you cannot wait for this upcoming year. Maybe great things are going to come about. Maybe you're headed off to college. Maybe there's a new career. Maybe you're looking at getting married. Maybe something, maybe you're expecting a child. Uh, uh, so may, you are just anticipating great things and you're ready to go. There's others of you who may be having kind of a difficult time with this year. Maybe you lost a loved one. Or maybe your loved one's sick. Maybe there's just a heavy weight you have upon you. And you're feeling like you just can't kick it. Let me remind you, nothing is impossible with God. And I, I realize the weight can be heavy. You might be grieving a loss of a specific relationship or friend. It's okay to do that. It is okay. Let me give you permission. It's okay because it's not all Christmas lights. There are Christmas shadows as well. But it's in those moments when God promises to walk with us. And one way of saying it would be don't let what you've lost make you miss what you have left. Don't let what you've lost miss what you have left and what God wants to do in your midst. In fact, stop trying to tame God with what he wants to do. We, we don't know. Isaiah 55 talks about his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are so much greater than our thoughts. We, we, we don't know what he is up to. 
I just know that sometimes we need to let God be God. And when we do, we just surrender to him. And we come alongside what says there in Luke 137 where it says nothing is impossible with God. If the virgin birth does not prove that, I don't know what does. Because Mary was an ordinary person in an ordinary town, just like you are an ordinary person, I'm an ordinary person in an ordinary town like this, and we are assured nothing is impossible with God. You say, Pastor Brad, you have no idea where my marriage is. You're right, I don't. I do know, though, if both parties are wanting to work at it, nothing is impossible with God. You might say, I, I don't even have a marriage proposal on the horizon. I haven't even been in a relationship with for a while. Come on now. If God can do a virgin birth, you don't think he can bring someone along if that's his plan for your life? Some of you may say, oh, man, Pastor Brad, you don't even know the addictions I have in my life. You don't know the bad habits that have taken over my life. All I have to say is please do not call the angel a liar. Scripture says nothing is impossible with God. There is no obstacle with God. He is not tamed by your theology. He is not tamed by your situation. And he does what he pleases. And the thing I love about all that is that God is for you. He is not out to get, uh, to get you. He's not against you. He is for you because everything he does is motivated in his love. We might not always see it right away, but everything he does is motivated in his love for you. I'll share one last story. There's a pastor by the name of John LaRue who... Um, runs an organization called uh, Action, Love in Action. This Love in Action is a ministry that reaches out to men with sexual addictions. And uh, John invited his pastor uh, to come. And so his pastor came and sat in the midst of this meeting at one time, and the pastor was sitting there and good-sized room, number of men were in there. Just like I want to encourage you, um, if you're dealing with some sort of sexual addictions, if you're dealing with some sort of loss or hurt or grieving in your life, if you're dealing with some sort of, of pain or, 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 or chemical dependency, we have a great Celebrate Recovery program that meets Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. But this one, we actually have uh, not this exact program, but we do have other classes that meet to help men with going through sexual addictions. Please do not go through it on your own. Let others help you. But let me tell you the story. The pastor was sitting in this kind of this room full of men who were going through these issues. And a gentleman stepped up to the front and began to share about driving past, um, going uh, home from work and driving past a nightclub for adults. And he says, when I drove by the nightclub, I really wanted to stop. And as he said this, a bunch of hands went up in the room like this. And the pastor kind of sat there and saw all these hands going up. And the testimony just continued from the guy out front. He thought, why isn't he stopping to answer the questions? I'm not quite sure why these hands are going up. But the talk continued to go on. And he said, and I was driving by and I wanted to stop. And in fact, I did. I pulled my car into the parking lot. And again, a bunch of hands shot up in the room as he began to say this. He goes on and he says, and I spent the evening there at this adult place. And he confessed some of what he did. And as he did, a bunch of hands again went up in the room over and over again. He said, I felt so ashamed and I didn't think God could love me. 
And when he shared that, every hand shot up in the room. And the pastor was there kind of scratching his head saying, why isn't he answering these questions? If these people need help, they need something. Why don't you just do something? And the director caught the pastor after the time was over speaking with the guys. He said, you know, you had kind of a perplexed look on your face. Is there something I can help you with? And the pastor said, yeah. You know, why wasn't the gentleman sharing what he did or how he was over to overcome some of this? It looked like they needed help. It looked like they have questions. And here's what the director said. He said, that, that's not what was taking place. He said, see, we have one rule in love and action. He said, you never struggle alone. He says, so if you've ever struggled with the same thing that someone is confessing, you raise your hand when they confess it. You say, you're not the only one going through that. I've gone through that as well. And I heard the illustration, and I thought, what a great way of remembering what God did for us. The incarnation was his son becoming one of us. The incarnation was God saying, I will go through what you go through, and yet he never sinned. Jesus was tempted in every way, but Scripture said he never gave in, he never sinned. But he realizes when we have, he realizes what that temptation is like, and he realizes you don't have to go through that alone because God's Spirit lives inside of you. And when I heard that illustration, I thought, you know what, folks? That's what we need more around here. We need more people raising hands and not pointing pointing fingers. Because in way too many churches, it becomes you did what? And we begin to point fingers instead of raising hands to say, yep, been there. I've gone through it. I felt some of those same things. You don't have to go through this alone. In fact, would you do this with me right now? Would you just raise your hand just like this? Okay, now take your finger and point it at me. Okay, you look a lot better raising your hands than you do pointing your fingers. Okay? It, it just, it, 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 that's what we need to be. We need to be the kind of church that is a hand-raising church, not a finger-pointing church. And I seri- I'm serious when I say this. If you are here pointing more fingers than you are raising hands, this is probably not the church for you. Because we need to be a church that comes together to help one another, to encourage one another, to be God's love in action. We studied about grace this last fall. If you were not here, I hope you can get in on that. You can go back on the website, listen to the messages. Hopefully we can do that grace series again at some point in time. But I want us to be a church that raises hands and says, yep, been there, gone through that, we can get through this together. Maybe you'll be someone who raises their hands with what I'm going to say right now. Maybe you'll be someone who says, amen, I've been there, Pastor. Because let me just end by saying this, a reminder of what we've been through since September till now, that the incarnation means God's grace is greater, amen? And His grace is greater than my addiction. His grace is greater than my pride, his grace is greater than my materialism. Anybody got some materialism at Christmas time? Yep, okay, it happens. His grace is greater than my lusts. His grace is greater than the abortion that I had in my life. His grace is greater than the affair that I went through. His grace is greater than my abuse. His grace is greater than my loneliness. His grace is greater than my divorce. His grace is greater than my anger. His grace is greater than my selfishness. His grace is greater than my infertility. And I know there's someone who's struggling with infertility right here. You just heard Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. She got through it even in olden years. 
for God can do the impossible. God's grace is greater than that. Even if he chooses not to bless you with a child, you know now his grace is greater than all of that. His grace is greater than my fear of dying from stage 4 breast cancer. His grace is greater than my diabetes. His grace is greater than the pressure I feel from work. His grace is greater than the damage I have done to my marriage. His grace is greater than the mother who I have never pleased, than the father who I have disappointed over and over and over again. His grace is greater than the walls that I have built up to protect myself from getting hurt again. His grace is greater than the ugly past that I have. His grace is greater than my broken family. His grace is greater than my guilt. His grace is greater than my shame. His grace is greater than my brokenness. His grace is greater than my sin. His grace is greater than my secrets. His grace is greater. Amen. 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 And you have to know that. That God sent his son Jesus to this earth to go through what we go through. And he knows what we've gone through. And don't leave that on your own. Don't become an island unto yourself. Understand, he came. And when he came, yes, it'll cause a change of plan. But it will also allow you to see that the God of the impossible wants to do so much more in you than you can ever imagine. Cherish those moments. Ponder those moments. And see where God is alive. But don't do it on your own. Do it together. I encourage you, invite someone to come here the next few Sundays. Invite someone to come on Christmas Eve. Invite them to have an experience with God like you've had. Let's pray. Pray, God, I thank you for an opportunity we've had to hear your word and for the way that we can explore and understand how great your grace is. God, for how the Advent love was not just something that happened 2,000 years ago but that love is a part of our life even now. God, that that love is real and active. That love is changing plans for the better. That that love is a part of our lives. That that love is what causes us to say, God, we can have love in action, walking together with one another. Lord, thank you for the incarnation of your Son, alive in this world, you in bodily form, becoming one of us. What a great change of plan that was. God, may we never get to the place where we expect our plans to be the plans. God, may we be listening and hearing and understanding what you are doing in our midst. And God, even as we experience that, Lord, I pray that we would experience you. And to know that we can plan, but God, it's you who direct our paths. You know, maybe you're here today, and you've had a heaviness throughout this last year, last few months maybe even. Today would be a day to give that over to God and say, God, let it no longer be about my plans. Let it be about yours. Maybe you've uh, been walking through life and you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said yes to understanding he came to this earth to die for you. And that plan of salvation was set into motion at Christmas time. It culminated at that Easter time when he died on the cross and rose again from the grave. God, we thank you for what this season means, what it starts, the journey in our lives that we can experience and understand what that first advent would have felt like, but anticipate the second one to come. God, may your spirit be present in this place. May we look for opportunities 
where you want to change our plans and invade our lives so that we may be in tune and in step with you. We love you. Thank you. Thank you for your love in action, your love for us. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.